Hear the word of the Lord now from 1 Kings chapter 10. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind, and Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials and the attendants of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And then she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came, and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half of it was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men, happy are your servants, who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. And then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as those that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almond wood and precious stones. And the king made of the almond wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for singers. So much almond wood has come, or no such almond wood has come or has been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked, besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Now the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minus of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps and the throne had a round top, and on each side of the seat were armrests, and two lions standing beside the armrest, while twelve lions stood there, one on each end of the step, on the six steps. The like of it was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. 
Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, and so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore in Shephelah. And Solomon's imports of horses was from Egypt and Kew. And the king's traders received them from Kew at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. In 1984, a popular TV show began an 11-year run on American TV stations. It was called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Probably many of you remember it. The premise of the show was to showcase the wealth and luxurious lives of the most affluent people in the world. It was extremely popular, and after it went off the air, it was followed by a similar program called The Fabulous Life Of and then whoever the subject for the day happened to be would be added. That show ran through 2014, and even now, one network has a show that it calls The Filthy Rich Guide. All of these TV shows are intended to satisfy the curiosity of audiences who wish to peer into the world of opulence and extravagance of the exorbitantly prosperous, and probably those who watch wish that they could enjoy just such a lifestyle. To them, abundant money brings comfort and happiness as these TV series portray it. Are they right? Is that a correct evaluation? Well, 1 Kings chapter 10 tells us something about such a lifestyle. In fact, looking back on the reign of King Solomon, our Lord Jesus spoke these words, remembering the splendor of that reign. Matthew 6, 28 and 29, he says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then later in Matthew's gospel, he says, The queen of the south will rise up in judgment at this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. His fame had spread far and wide. And 1 Kings chapter 10 describes to us the highest point of Solomon's reign. We're told in chapter 4 that the geographical extent of his reign was from the Euphrates River all the way to Egypt. The Lord had given to him all of the land that had been prophet, uh, promised to Abraham. Solomon reigned over it. We're told here of the, uh, the amazing uh, riches that belonged to Solomon at the height of his well, uh, realm. For example, gold is emphasized in this chapter. Now, if we try to put these figures into modern um, figures that we're able to understand, it's a little bit difficult. One talent, for example, it's disputed among the scholars exactly how to make that equivalent in modern language. 
I've chosen a figure that's right in the middle of the range that is given by scholars. So let's say that a talent is about 90 pounds uh, itself. One talent is 90 pounds. One talent of gold would be 90 pounds. That means 666 talents of gold is approximately 60,000 pounds or just over 27,000 kilograms. And apparently in large measures, gold is sold today in kilograms. Now I went looking to see what is the price of gold right now? And it's just under $1,300 an ounce. Now if you do the math and you figure it all out, I'm not very good at math, but it comes to over a billion dollars a year in gold is what came to Solomon in tribute. That's a lot of money. We're told in verses 15 through 20 that he had an opulent throne. In fact, the writer of the book of 1 Kings tells us that the like of it was never made in any kingdom. It was an ivory throne that was covered with gold. It had six steps. It had two lions on each step, plus two, a lion on each side of the throne. The drinking vessels in Solomon's household were made of gold because silver was like nothing. He had a fleet of ships described to us in verse 22, and the cargo of that, those ships was gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks, because apparently he had his own private menagerie. We're told that he had horses and chariots. In fact, he writes about this in the Song of Solomon, chapter 3. 1,400 chariots, war machines to conquer and to subdue people, and 12,000 horsemen. Silver was as common as cedar, and he had horses from Egypt. Look again with me at verses 23 through 25. It's amazing what is described to us. King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom, and the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, mules, so much year by year. Imagine the accumulation of goods that belonged to this king. It's amazing. This is lifestyles of the rich and famous. This is the son of David who had to flee from King Saul and hide in caves in the wilderness. This was his son, and we see the height to which God raised him. Now we might ask the question, how did he accumulate all this wealth? Well, I wish that we had time to read the first 10 chapters of the book of 1 Kings because it tells us that story. But let me summarize it for you. When Solomon was a young man, he sought the Lord with all of his heart. It was the desire of his very being to seek after the Lord. And all of the blessings that we read about in chapter 10 were the result of the Lord coming upon a young king who served him with a loving heart. He was a godly man who put the Lord first in all things. And this amazing chapter is the account to us of what God gave to him as a result of his devotion and dedication. It's a really nice story, isn't it? Now, I'm not here today to preach you a sermon about prosperity. In fact, we all ought to condemn those. I don't even like to call it the prosperity gospel because it's not a gospel. It's a lie. That's not what we're here to think about because there's more. Not only did Solomon rise to the highest place, but Solomon fell terribly. And chapter 11 tells us the story of his fall. That's what I want to focus our attention on today. Read with me 
verses 1 through 8 of chapter 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. If we had read chapter 9, we would read about the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Verses 1 through 8 of chapter 11 describe to us Solomon's sin. If we were to continue reading in chapter 11, we would find the Lord's judgment upon Solomon and then stories of the adversaries that God brings against this once great king. We ought to ask the question, why did that which began in godly humility with a man seeking after the Lord with all of his heart, why did this end in such terrible sin? What was it that happened to this king who had perhaps greater blessing than anyone who has ever lived? What was it that took his heart away from the Lord his God and caused him to end in such tragedy? Well, I want to suggest to you from the text five reasons why Solomon fell. All of these are intended to be warnings to us so that we might be kept in the way. The first reason that Solomon fell is that Solomon allowed other loves to capture his heart. You know, it's one thing to say, I love someone or something. And at that moment, that may be true, and my devotion may be given to that one or to that thing. But that's no guarantee that that will continue to be the case throughout my life. And that's what happened to Solomon. Early in his reign, he loved the Lord with all of his heart. But we find here, because of his attraction and attention to foreign women, other loves captured his heart, and thus he began to turn away from the Lord his God. The dedicated young man allowed the beautiful foreign wives to influence his life, and as an old man, he divided his heart. Did you notice that as we read these first eight verses from chapter 11, there's a contrast, an age-oriented contrast that is intentionally placed before us. As an old man, his heart was moved. In verse 2, we're told that the former wives captured his love. Solomon clung to these in love. And we're told in verse 4 that it was his foreign wives who turned his heart after other gods so that his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as was the heart of of his father David. You know, as I was working my way through this chapter, I was reminded of the wise words of Solomon that are recorded for us in the book of Proverbs. 
Do you remember the book of Proverbs? How Solomon writes words of wisdom for his son. And it may be that he's preparing his son to follow in his footsteps and take up the reign over the nation of Israel. My son, hear my words. Solomon spoke words to his son to help his son, but they're words that he himself forgot. For example, in Proverbs chapter 3, he says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Make the acquisition and the maintenance of love the central characteristic of your life. And then Solomon goes on with words that probably many of us know very well. The next verse in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord, you could probably say it with me, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Those are Solomon's words to his son. He says, be not wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. In the next chapter of Proverbs, he says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Those are his own words. That's the advice that he gives to his son. Let this be central to the core of your being. But Solomon forgot the words that he himself taught his son. You know, brothers and sisters, this is a grave danger that we all face. It's possible for us, though our love for the Lord and for his people burns at this moment, it's possible for that to flicker and to fade and to become cold. It is possible that other loves, other attractions, will drive out our first and most important love. In fact, the Lord Jesus, in Revelation chapter 2, says that this can even happen to churches because he tells the Ephesian church that they have forsaken their first love. They've sought after others. That's what happened to Solomon. And we need to look at his life And ask ourselves honestly the question, do other loves crowd out your love for the Lord? Is there something else that is beginning to catch your eye, attract your interest, pull your imagination, and draw you away from what you now know is a genuine love that you have for the Lord? It's possible for the things of this world so press in upon us, things that we enjoy, things that make us comfortable, things that attract us, that they cause our heart to grow cool towards the Lord, and we find find ourselves in old age becoming like Solomon and forsaking the first love of our lives. A second reason why Solomon failed, why these things happened in his life, is that Solomon did not devote himself to the Lord And as a result, he committed idolatry. You know, it's it's shocking to think of Solomon losing his first love. I think it's even more shocking 
to read the account of the idolatry of Solomon in this place. We find presented to us the names of several Canaanite gods. Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was the female counterpart to Baal. She was the goddess of the moon. And her worship was characterized by immorality, by men and women engaging in ungodly actions with each other. Milcom or Moloch, those are the same idol with different names in different places, was the god of sun worship. And Milcom or Moloch was, was worshipped by the offering up of infants. Babies were brought, babies were murdered as offerings to this horrible sun god. Chemosh was another sun god, but was a, a war god. And it was considered an offering to Chemosh to give yourself in battle, to die in the service of Chemosh. Those who were killed in battle were considered as sacrifices that were offered up to this God. And the writer of 1 Kings tells us that Solomon, the man who when the temple of God was dedicated saw the glory of God come down in such a palpable way that the Levites could not even worship. They couldn't serve. All that they could do is fall on their faces before the glory of God. I don't know that apart from the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was ever a manifestation of the glory of God to men like there was at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem under King Solomon. And yet this man is offering up sacrifices building temples, and encouraging the worship of Canaanite gods. How does that happen? How do you go from the heights, from being utterly devoted to the Lord where he appears in a theophany, to going up to the mountains outside of Jerusalem, to high places, and worshiping the worst gods of the, the Canaanites, of the pagans? God appeared to him twice during his lifetime, and yet he sinned in this gross way. Once again, I ask the question, did he forget his own words? Once more, you can say the, the text that I'm about to quote to you. The fear of the Lord is what? It's the beginning, the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, the commitment to the Lord with all of the heart is the entryway. It's the doorpost. It's the way that we come in to know the Lord. Proverbs 15, 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. It's almost the theme verse for the life of Solomon, isn't it? When he was young, when he had, did not have much, when he had the opportunity to ask for wealth, and did not do so, but asked the Lord for wisdom. The Lord said, because you've not asked for fame, because you've not asked for wealth, I will give those things to you, and I will give you wisdom. When he was humble, when he was young, he knew the fear of the Lord. But when he was old, he had forgotten the very lessons that he himself had taught. His reverence for the being of the Lord and terror at his judgment. Solomon seems to have neglected these things. Didn't he remember that the fear of the Lord is the beginning? That's what we try to teach our children when they're very young. Where do we start with them? 
Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where we start. Solomon forgot. Didn't he know that when he gave his heart up to idolatry, when he pursued foreign gods, that the Lord would send judgment? And is it possible for us that we likewise fall prey to idolatry and neglect the fear of the Lord, the God of heaven and earth? A third reason that Solomon failed in the way that he did is that Solomon disobeyed the commands that were given to kings in the law of Moses. You know, there are specific places where kings are given direct instruction as to what they are to do when they come to the throne. In fact, every king of Israel was required to make a copy of the book of the law for himself. One of the statutes was that he was to sit down and take the time and actually write out by hand a copy of the law of the Lord. This was so that he personally knew that law and really had no excuse for disobeying it. And so Solomon would have written out with his own hand this copy of the law, law, uh, the law of the Lord, and he would have written these words, Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 17. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. No horses, not an abundance of wives, not an accumulation of silver and gold. And yet what do we read in 1 Kings chapter 10 about Solomon? Silver and especially gold, horses from Egypt, and an abundance of wives. Solomon directly violated each of these commandments, which he himself would have written with his own hand. Is it any wonder that he fell so badly? And I wonder, where were the priests? Where were those who had the responsibility of teaching the law of God? Why didn't they warn him? Why didn't they go to the king and say, stop, stop? Don't accumulate this wealth for yourself. Distribute it to the people. Relieve the poor and needy. Do acts of goodness and kindness to others. Why didn't they say, stop, don't go to Egypt and accumulate the horses? Why didn't they say, stop, you are only to marry a woman from the people of Israel, not women, not the daughter of Pharaoh, and not women from the nations that are around us? There is here a reminder of the importance of pastors who bring to us the commands of God so that his people remember it's very easy to forget. Solomon had no excuse, but he forgot. And no one came to his side to warn him. He fell into these grave sins. A fourth reason why Solomon fell as he did is that he disobeyed specifically the commandment of God, don't marry foreign wives. Now this is the primary reason that is given in 1 Kings 11 verses 1 through 8. The others help to diagnose without 
what led to his, this action. But he loved women. Now, many of these marriages, 700 wives and 300 concubines, many of them were probably political. That is, marriages that were entered into for the sake of political alliances. Whatever the case may be, we are told in the text that Solomon loved these women. He was attracted to them. They were beautiful. They captured his heart. And so he began to behave as they wanted him to behave. They don't seem to have been believers at all. In fact, it's very clear that many of them were not because they were devoted to the worship of the Canaanite gods. Once again, one wonders if Solomon neglected or forgot or simply refused to obey words that he himself had written. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The companion of fools will suffer harm. The companion of idolaters will become an idolater. The Apostle Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about the resurrection. He says this, evil company corrupts good morals. You spend time with wicked people, you become like them. They have an influence over you. Solomon stands before us as a model for this. You know, this is a principle that is universally true. You will be like your companions. Whoever you spend the most time with, you will become like them. Now, I don't mean the people that you work with. I mean the people that you spend your best time with, the people that you enjoy, the people that you invite into your home. Those are the people that you'll be like. It may be that you know them personally and spend time with them personally. It may be that you do this vicariously. It surprises me how many people will invite, by means of the television, folks into their home that they would never spend time with personally. And yet they bring these people into their homes and they let their bad morals influence and corrupt their activity. Now, I'm not saying don't watch TV or watch movies. What I am saying is we need, as Christians, to have a lot of discernment in the way that we view programs. And there are probably many programs that we ought not watch, that we easily do, because we're told that they're brilliant in the way that they depict this or that, but really they're presenting to us morals that will corrupt us. We need to be careful. Who are your friends that you invite into your home on a weekly basis on Monday night at 9 o'clock? I have no idea what show is on it Monday night at 9 o'clock except Antiques Roadshow. But, uh, and those are probably not you know, what I'm talking about. But you all understand the point. Who do you invite into your home as your friends that you spend time with every week by means of the television? There's a grave danger that we see in Solomon's life, and we need to avoid it at every cost seek to make our companions those who are the people who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. There's a fifth reason that Solomon fell. Solomon forgot the promise of the Lord that was spoken to him three times. Let all things be established at the mouth of two or three witnesses. Three times Solomon received this witness. Listen to the texts. 2 Kings 2, 1-4. 
When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. The Lord spoke that to David, and David repeated it to Solomon before he died. The first time that Solomon heard this promise, Obey the Lord and serve him with all of your heart, and you will prosper. We see that early in his reign. 1 Kings 3.14, the Lord comes and speaks to Solomon. He says, If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. He hears it from David. He hears it from God. 1 Kings 9.3 And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children... And do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all the nations. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss, and they will say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them, therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. Three times, very specifically, very directly, Solomon heard these words. Keep my commandments and I will bless you. Neglect my commandments and I will be against you. And even on the day when the temple was dedicated, when Solomon was in the presence of God himself, he heard these words, and yet he forgot them. In Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And in chapter 4, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. And yet, you know what Solomon did? The very simple thing, he forgot. He did not remember. He allowed to escape from his mind the very thing that the Lord had taught him. Now, maybe there are other ways, other things that contributed to Solomon's fall. But these five ways are instructive for us. He allowed other forbidden loves to capture his heart. He failed to devote himself completely to the Lord his God. He disobeyed the direct commandments of the Lord to kings, which became a general pattern in his life. 
he disobeyed a specific command of the Lord not to marry foreign wives, and he forgot the promise of the Lord that if he devoted himself with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind, he would continue, he would prosper and continue to prosper. But if he gave himself over to foreign gods, the judgment of the Lord would be upon himself and on his nation. These five things all show his failure and they serve as warnings to us. If someone who has received such enormous blessings could fall, dear friends, so could we. We can be forgetful. We can neglect. We can allow our hearts to become cold. But there is a remedy. What is the remedy to this? What is the remedy to the danger that we face where we could become like Solomon? Well, it is to turn to a different king, a better king, whose name is Jesus, and who promises us in the gospel forgiveness for our sins as we come to him. Whenever we trust in men, whenever we look even to the best of them, and Solomon at the height of his reign was the best of men. He had a heart that was devoted to God. He served him in every way. He loved him, and the Lord blessed him. But Solomon failed. But when we look to Jesus, our king, we will see someone who never fails, who does not forget, who keeps the commandments of God, who graciously demonstrates to us his love at every moment, and who extends to us his forgiveness. It may be that there are some here today who find that their hearts have grown cold in the service of the Lord. My friend, I can tell you this with a surety, that if you seek his face and ask his forgiveness, he will grant it to you. He will restore to you the joy of your salvation, as he did to David after David's fall and David's sin. The Lord is a God who is gracious. The Lord knows that we are weak. He knows that we face temptations. He recognizes the difficulties of our lives. He knows that there are distractions that come upon us. But he calls us as a reminder to find our help, our source of strength in times of trouble from him. So turn to him and find in him the one who is able to help you, to keep your heart warm, and to cause you to serve him with all of your mind. If you've never believed in the Lord Jesus, I ask you the question, why not? Why wait? You cannot find forgiveness. You cannot find strength. You will only find disaster, as Solomon found disaster, when you seek to live your life apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord extends to you his arms and he says, come to me and I will forgive you. Trust in me. Some of you might find yourself falling or you might have fallen away from the Lord. There is forgiveness in him. There is grace and mercy in him. Come to him and find that forgiveness. The life of Solomon is very instructive. We think of the height of his reign and the lifestyle of the rich and the famous, and in many ways we want it. We fail to see the dangers that come in it. We need to remember that we are better to be humble and dependent upon the Lord our God than to trust in the riches and the wealth of this earth. May the Lord help us not to be like Solomon in the bad way, 
but to be like Solomon as a young man and serve the Lord with all of our hearts. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, thank you for the truthfulness of your holy word, which does not hide from us the sins, the weakness, the, the failures of even the best of your people. Thank you that there is forgiveness in you, grace and kindness. Lord, we ask you to forgive our sins and to make our hearts glow with love for you and for others. May our thankfulness for the forgiveness that we receive through Christ motivate us to serve you with vigor, with strength, with determination. And Lord, we don't do these things in our own flesh. We do them because of the Spirit who dwells within us. May your Spirit work powerfully among all of your people and help us serve you with vigor and strength. And for those who have not found forgiveness in Christ, we ask that this day might be the day where they come to life and find the relief that comes from a gracious God who satisfies the dead against sin by the action of his Son. We pray in Christ's name.